Today is Thursday, May 6th, 2021, and I want to spend some time today in the lab again, because guess what Monday is? Monday is the release of the second edition, the keepsake edition of No Thanks, Seven Ways to Say, I'll Just Include Myself, and we call it the remix. I am in the lab, which means that I'm recording video and audio because there is a whole online course and discussion guide that comes with this remix of No Thanks. So if you get it, you'll open up and you'll see the code and you'll go to my website and you'll download it. If you don't get the book, you'll be able to buy it a la carte. But that means I'm really tied up, but it doesn't mean we're not going to talk about something very important and timely. Do you remember back in 2016 when we saw a rash of really horrible crimes against black men and women killed at the hands of police officers. And it's about the time that corporations began to say something to their employees, even if it wasn't necessarily externally, about the Black Lives Matter movement. Well, fast forward to 2019, and I spoke with Candace Peterson, who is the head of the consumer practice at Integrated Marketing Communications 100,000-pound gorilla, Fleischman Hillard, which is also my alma mater, about how brands can adapt during a time that is charged, supercharged, with social issues. Well, things never slowed down. And in 2020, especially after the George Floyd incident, we saw more and more companies taking external stances Whether they were performative or not, they were all there. I talked to Candace Peterson about what it takes for a brand to adjust during this new mass market, this digital economy that has a cultural overlay. You see, there's no separating it. And if you think there is, think again. Research shows that consumers really show brand loyalty to companies that align with their values. And more and more, consumers are demanding that corporations take a stand. It's another Throwback Thursday, and we're going back to Episode 67, Achieving Brand Authenticity in a New Mass Market with Candace Peterson. It's all about woke washing. Let's get it. Hey, y'all. This is Culture Soup, where tech, culture, and business collide. It's a podcast that spoons up everything hot from social media. I'm your host, L. Michelle Smith, and each episode, we bring you some of the most notable and not yet notable thought leaders in tech, business, and culture. The year was 2017. I'd been at AT AT&T for about four years. And my teams were working like a well-oiled machine. You have to know that in-house, I didn't have much staff. By then, I had two full-time people. One in Los Angeles, shout out to Skylar Ezel, and one here in Dallas, Madeline Littrell, who's now at Mary Kay. 
the rest of my team was agency. I had five different agency teams from three different agencies supporting me across several different segments is what we call them. Remember, I did diversity and inclusion, corporate communications, which amounts to multicultural communications. But one of my prime clients, if you will, in-house, the BU, was human resources, diversity and inclusion, and the chief diversity officer. Each year, I pushed my teams to give me more. It wasn't enough to just come to me with heritage programs. Do you know what I mean by that? Black History Month, Hispanic Heritage Month, Pride Month. We needed to do more. We needed to show that we had a commitment to each of these communities by being there, showing up, touching the people, and having a consistent drumbeat of conversation with the segments. I remember classically telling my crew from Flowers Communications Group when I first met them, do not bring me gospel choirs when we were talking about the African-American segment. I had the same admonishment for each one of the teams. Shout out to 10 Advertising out on the West Coast who handled all of my Asian comms. And shout out to Fleischman Hillard. Fleischman Hillard is a humongous communications and integrated marketing company. And it might be to some counterintuitive to have them on diversity and inclusion business because they aren't exactly an MBE. However, this group of practitioners, as smart as they were, was smart enough to have capabilities internally that supported certain segments. They would support me on Hispanic and Latino comms. They also supported me on LGBTQIA. At the time, we just called it LGBT. They added some letters after that. <laughs> and they also helped me with the ability segment. At first, we called it disability. As we were more informed and evolved, we called it accessibility market. And they also supported me on the women's segment, which would evolve from there out. Somewhere during that time frame, Fleischman not only would share the teams that were dedicated to my business, but they always brought resources to the table. One day, I remember going into a conference room to discuss a campaign that never got off the ground, but I'm telling you, if we had gotten it funded, it would have won awards. Ponte Las Pilas. Some of you know what that means. Yeah. And I kind of learned how to say it. How did I do? <laughs> Fleischman brought some resource team members to the table. And that's the day that I walked in and I thought I saw Sarah Jessica Parker sitting at the table. Okay, what was that? I had to comment, her name was Candace Peterson. Candace was and is the lead of the global practice that supports consumer brand marketing for Fleischman Hillard across all of their marquee accounts. Candace 
was a big gun. But I got to tell you, all of the big guns at Fleischman Hillard are humble. They don't tout their titles. Some of them are senior partners. But I'm telling you, they're smart. And while my team, my core team, was very smart in doing their jobs, they brought the big gun to the table when it came to consumer-facing programs. I was pleased to hear the creativity that was coming from Candace and the rest of the team. It was thinking that I hadn't heard before. Candy and I, I started calling her Candy, stayed in contact over time. We never did get to work together specifically on that campaign or others, but we had a mutual respect. Candy joins me for this episode of the Culture Soup podcast because recently I saw an article where she was included. She talked about a topic that we're going to talk about today. Woke washing. I won't tell you what that means. You'll hear more as we go along. But in the meantime, I have to tell you, Fleischman Hillard is, how do they put it? Family. They place an H after the F in the word family for FH. It's where I had my first public relations job, reporting to Ashley Blaker. You'll probably meet Ashley at some point. Who knows? But Ashley's very important to me. But without further ado, I want to introduce to some, but not everybody, because Candace is a heavyweight in the industry. Candace Peterson, my friend and consumer brand marketing expert. Okay, everybody, thanks so much for joining us today. I have Candace Peterson. She is the managing director of consumer brand marketing. That is the lead of the entire global practice at Fleischman Hillard. Hey, Candy. Hi, Michelle. Yes. And she's also the host of Back of Napkin podcast. You got to check that out. And you want to tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. It's um, hot marketing topics and the time that you can eat lunch. And so we talk to folks in the market about some of the hot topics and, you know, kind of a tee up for our conversation today. That's for sure. Absolutely. You know, I was very, very blessed to be a part of your podcast just a few months ago, maybe a little bit more. And um, recently you were part of an article that Medium published about how brands can stand out in a very, very crowded and competitive space. There was some great advice in there, but there was something that jumped out at me. But before we get there, I want us to have a culture soup moment. Are you ready? I'm ready. Awesome, awesome, awesome. So, you know, anytime our former president, the rock star, Barack Obama, opens his mouth, it makes news. <laughs> and this time, man, it just went all over the place because he said something that rubbed some people the wrong way, but others of us, me being one, was like, rah, rah. He talked about the whole idea of being woke, right? And as individuals, especially on social media, uh, you know, there's a term that some people use. He didn't use this term, but woke-tivism, where you just tweet up a storm about your cause, but you never actually do anything. And ultimately, he was saying, put your feet to the action. And I think that speaks to authenticity, don't you? 
Absolutely. It does speak to authenticity, you know, and it, it's a topic that we've been having a whole lot of discussions on in the brand space, especially because um, we talk about woke washing and pride painting and, and all of these moments where culture is actually infiltrating how we um, approach the market and how brands actually talk. So it's a, a topic that is near and dear and uh, to my heart and, you know, always remaining curious, something that um, we're trying to crack the code on. Absolutely. And, you know, it comes at me from two directions. One, the very name of this podcast, the Culture Soup Podcast, is, of course, everybody knows, comes from a keynote of mine where I talk about social media's culture soup. And woke is one of those terms that kind of gave birth, or at least its wings, came from social media, especially from the black culture. So to have people adopting it and using it in ways is very interesting. Of course, it's just the way it is. Nielsen told us that black culture kind of drives pop culture. So here we are. And now we have from the other side of the fence where, you know, my heart lies leadership. And I believe that individuals and brands have to do certain things in order to lead. And one of those things is being authentic. So in this article that you were part of, you gave some tips and advice for brands to stand out, be authentic. That was part of it. But to avoid this whole thing of woke washing. So why don't we talk about what that even means? Because there may be people out there that just don't know. So, you know, woke washing is what I like to call like borrowing culture, mm-hmm. right? So um, there are issues that are social societal issues. Um that um, brands are beginning to have a conversation about. Mm -hmm. Um, While in some cases brands are doing it well, there are other cases where um, I I like to say brands are kind of trying to borrow culture and Mm -hmm. that's where it comes across as totally um, inauthentic. Um, Examples, and actually I had um, the great pleasure this past year of being one of the um, judges at the PR Lions in Cannes. Congratulations, I saw that. Yeah, you know... um, we saw a lot of work come through from amazing brands. Um, there were, you know, I think I looked at over 2,600 um, individual cases. And what, as we began to really study those cases, what became very evident was that there were a lot of really wonderful causes mm-hmm. um, that brands were latching onto. Um, and while all very noble, um, the problem was they just weren't authentic to who that brand was. Mm-hmm. And so while um, as an individual, I, I might have had um, a, an affinity or uh, an interest in a particular cause that that, that brand was championing, it just seemed um, fake, like yeah. an unwanted party guest. Right, in right. These, right, in many of these situations. And so um, it, as a result, we, we kind of were like, well, that one just stinks of, um, you know, just trying to be a part of the, you know, the the narrative of today right. and not necessarily linked to their brand's mission and what they stood for and even who their audience was. And so um, I think it was just um, became a, a, a real kind of eye opener, at least for me as an individual to think, you know, gosh, you know, I get really passionate about certain issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, does it always make sense for me to, to counsel my clients to also jump in on this particular right. issue. In some cases, no. In fact, it might be better to, to steer away from it because it just really doesn't align with who they are as a brand. So I think you're, you're touching on something that's really important. The cultural context is out there right now. So much is going on. Um, oh my God. Yes. In, in every space. 
And right now, diversity, equity, inclusion seems to just be the hotness. I hate to say it, but that's where a lot of these brands kind of feel like it's time for us to jump in. So there's this temptation that happens. But how do you do that gut check? Even as counselors working with some of the best brands out there, how do you advise your your clients? You know, yeah, it seems like the way to go. Yes, it's the right thing to do or say, but your brand may not align. Yeah, you know, um, I'm going to read a, a quote from our authenticity study. It's a mm-hmm. study that Color does. Um, according to the study, 69% of consumers say that it's more important for brands to talk about their societal and environmental impact versus pure product benefits. Mm-hmm. So when you hear a stat like that, gosh, it seems very obvious, like, oh, well, we need to Let's jump, jump on it. Right. <laughs> but if you peel back the onion, you know, if you immediately do that, you cross a threshold, you can't back away from no, that. No, you can't. So, you no. Know, and, and as you know, social never goes away. So it can always bubble back up. Right. So um, I think that it's really important um, as we look at these societal issues is to see how they rank against your own business priorities. Mm-hmm. I think that to me is my greatest counsel is that look at who you are as a business. Mm-hmm. What are your values? What are your mission? Mm-hmm. Um, it, take those and line them up to the societal issues of today. Um, it will become very evident where there's an alignment and where there is a chasm. And I think where we're seeing brands falter is when they jump in on an issue that really doesn't point to, to who they are as a brand. Right. Um, so we, we like to say um, it's about um, uh, looking at who, know, knowing who you are. Mm-hmm. So what's your voice, um, You know what you stand for, um, what are the issues that you will absolutely fight for, right. and then the ones that you're never going to. Right to get into the mix on. Uh, so you need to actually have that alignment with your senior stakeholders in order to, um, uh, you know, assess these issues as they bubble up. Because Michelle, as you stated, culture is not going away. In fact, it's becoming more and more of kind of the surround sound to mm-hmm. the environment that these brands are living in. And so um, it, it's really important that companies take that time to, to do the due diligence and really, um, have those hard conversations internally. And it's not just from an external marketing standpoint, but it's also understanding that employees are part of your brand. Now. Right. Um, if I look at, you know, a recent example of um, employees actually kind of creating a marked change um, and uh, a bit of a crisis for a brand was with Wayfair, where the employees um, really stood up to the company when they were very upset that when they found out that Wayfair was actually um, delivering beds to um to the border in Texas, mm. and you know they were saying, you know, we don't believe in this, and um, you know we, we don't want to make money off of a situation that we don't support. And so, um, had they had some conversations right. about this in advance, and of course, you know, crystal ball, I'm right? Room, but um, I would imagine that they probably had those conversations since, right? About, you know, what what things do we want to align with as a brand um, to try to avoid even some of these reputational risks? Well, and it's interesting because this is really, it's a leadership tenant for brands and for individuals. I I like to say to clients and when I'm up on the platform that you really should be walking your talk out. And so by the time you get on social media or you do a public relations campaign, 
you're just amplifying something that is true to you, true to your story. And maybe one of the litmus tests is, are we really in this community? Are we really doing something before we amplify with a campaign? Yes. Um, you know, I, I think about the whole idea of appropriation and appropriation really is about taking advantage or, or amplifying the culture, but not doing something for the community that produced that culture. Okay. So do you see that there are brands out there that are jumping on board to topics that may align with their storyline, right? Yeah. Their values. But have you actually done anything for LGBTQIA? Right. You know, that's a, Until now. That's a, a excellent um, example. And um, again, back to the borrowing culture versus actually mm-hmm. being part of it. Um, I, I would say a, a, a example of a brand that I think did something really, really well um, was L'Oreal. Um, mm-hmm. This this past year, actually, they won um, a gold lion for it. So um, wow. within the diversity and inclusion conversation, um, age has become um, part mm-hmm. of that narrative. I mean, if you've been following social media the past couple of weeks, OK Boomer has just been all over the place. So yeah. um, this actually comes from the the opposite side and, and talking about ageism. Um, L'Oreal um, created the first... Um, issue that was um, completely designed, developed, the editorial, the photography, everything was done by women that were over 50. And that was based on a statistic that they had found that um, women over the age of 50 um, were disproportionately represented in um, the the fashion industry. Mm. And so they actually took a stance and said, we're not just for younger women, we are for all women. And so um, in a very bold manner, they worked in partnership with Vogue and developed what they called the non-issue. And again, um, every single aspect of it was done um, by women who were in this um, uh, population of over 50. And I think um, walking the walk, they did a great job because they they very well could have done an issue and had anybody of any age Mm -hmm. contribute. But I think they did such... um, they were so critical about how they approached it and um, really curating a team to work on this um, particular issue. um, It it left no room for error because it was um, for the population that they were trying to serve. And And I just think it was a really excellent and beautiful, beautiful. I have to check it out. You raise a very important point here that L'Oreal was insightful enough to act on. And that is, you may have the values. It may align with your values. You may have the insight. You may even have the track record. But if you don't have a team that actually reflects the story that you're trying to tell, how can the wheels come off the wagon? We've seen it before. Oh, preach on that. Um, we have seen it before. <laughs> and there are a lot of um, brands that um, have jumped in the conversation and had um absolutely the wrong mix of people contributing to that. And it comes across as, as inauthentic, yeah. as, as you know, um, I think diversity of thought is definitely something that needs to be part of, of the mix. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't say that you have a diversity and inclusion initiative if your uh, workforce doesn't reflect, yeah. <laughs> reflect that, right? And, so, and your marketing team, because sometimes the entire slew of your employee, you know, um, um, population can be very, right. very diverse. But as you get up that food chain, 
into these rooms where these types of, 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 of decisions are being made, then it thins out. Absolutely. Um, there have been, as you know, with um, women and, and mm -hmm. uh, the creative space, um, a number of years ago, the 3% conference was started. And I laugh because I'm like an original 3%er. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, so, when do we uh, increase to five or six or yeah, 10? I mean, and, 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 and uh, you know, women in um, advertising and mar marketing, obviously, we are just uh, one group of a number of um, poorly represented mm -hmm. um, populations. So it, it is nice to see that there is conversation happening right. about um, the desire to, to make change here. Um, the, I think <laughs> it still, still remains to be seen um, an actual change yeah. and, you know, kind of an increase in, uh, you know, better representation of all parties. Um, so, we're, but we're working on it. It's awesome. <laughs> For sure. Right. <laughs> Candy, you got to tell us a little bit about your story. Now, you didn't just, you weren't just born at Fleischman Hillard. <laughs> no, you have a track no. record that is amazing in the advertising and marketing space. So tell us a little well, bit you. about what brought you to here. Yeah. Um, so I'm actually a classically trained art director. Okay. Uh, when I went to college, I thought I wanted to design print ads and TV wow. spots. Um which I did. Mm -hmm. I started my career at Ogilvy & Mather and um, worked at a number of um, bigger brand agencies for a, a large um, part of my career and kind of worked my way up the, the chain to executive creative director. And then, um, gosh, it's going on six years now that I um, came over to Fleischman Hillard. And, um, you know, had I Originally in my career, if you'd asked me if I would end up at a, you know, a communications mm -hmm. firm, a, a public relations um, kind of historic big uh, firm like FH, I would have said, well, that just seems like that would not be my path. But, you know, much like culture and permeating mm -hmm. all things that we do, um, the lines have truly begun to, to blur. And what I saw as enticing um, with moving into the, you know, more of a PR and communication space was that ownership of conversation, yeah. Michelle. So I, I came from a world where as advertisers, we own the conversation and we totally it and it one way. And, you know, there's, there's a preciousness about right. that. Um, and the PR but, team and, was kind of at the end of the gate right before it went to the market. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I used to roll my eyes at the PR people. All of course, the it's a pecking order. <laughs> You're Don yes, Draper, you. for goodness sake. <laughs> um, so, you know, but I saw the tables begin to turn because um, as social media became such a, a big part of everything that we did, mm -hmm. um, we lost control as a brand. Yeah. And so we would have um, our customers really kind of controlling the narrative. And that made me uneasy. And I just actually wanted to be a part of that. And so I saw that um, the PR um partners were, were really owning that frontline conversation. Um, and, you know, I've always been a huge believer that brand and reputation are inextricably linked. Yes. And so if I'm unable to control the reputational part of the conversation, really that puts everything else that I'm doing at risk. I, I, I feel like it's, it's unwieldy. I have no control over it. And so um, to me, having the benefit of being able to kind of play both sides of that coin and really understand how brand and reputation work together right. in tandem was really attractive to me. And so um, 
fortunately, I followed that hunch and landed here and work with um, people that are far smarter than me. And I'm oh. really <laughs> every day so impressed by by the work that um, the, the team here does. You know, um, that was the topic that I wanted to get into how things have changed. There are people that say, oh, PR is dying. And I'm like, wow, you know, that's interesting because PR practitioners in, in their truest form, if they are moving with the times, have been become have become more of integrated marketers than they have right. in the past. If they're really good at their game. And that's the language that the brand people speak, right? Right. So right. if you could speak that language, you're at the table and you are impacting both brand and reputation. Right. And and right. that's just where we are. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you have to be um, well versed on, on both the brand and reputation side. Integration is the word du jour, and I don't think that's going away anytime soon. Um, you have to think about things through the line. So it's not just a um, single moment in time. Again, as we talked about it, um, re- especially as we're talking about these societal yes. issues, a brand steps into this space. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to create a conversation. Again, you cannot back away from it. And so um, being able to understand the, and I I think PR practitioners do this way better than um, general marketers, is they actually kind of think through um, the scenario planning of what could happen. We have to. I mean, we're like frontline reputation. We're the guardians. (laughs) Exactly, the guardians. So, you know, emotionally, it might feel really good at that moment in time and be like, oh, we've got this creative idea and we're going to, you know, execute it um, today, but you have to think through like, what is that going to do for, for the longer term um, reputation of the brand? And so um, that's what I love about um, working here is that, you know, um, it's tempered by, I I call it um, calculated rebellion. Oh, I love it. I love it. (laughs) That's the term I use. It's like, you know, we know we need to be bold. We know we need to be creative, but we're never going to do anything that's going to put our, our brand and our client at risk. know that reminds me of the very nugget and kernel that began as inclusion marketing when I was working at the big fortune nine it really was about we we didn't want to seem like we were infiltrating however we saw the need to be at the table and break down some of these silos because what we see in a lot of these companies is you've got the brand people over there in their cubby hole and you've got your reputation people your PR people over here in this cubby hole And by the time the content gets to the PR people, it's fresh. It's ready to go. And if you see a problem, you're really rocking a boat to say something (laughs) at that stage. Right. They'll be like, Michelle, wait, I'm sorry. You need to take this issue. Right. Or, you know, just write a statement. Just be ready. Right. And you're like, (laughs) we could avoid this whole thing. Right. You know, it's, it's interesting. Um, that actually brings up another point for why I really love being on this side of, of the fence. And that is that um, crisis and reputation can actually be used for um, reputational yes. gain. Um, a really, I think, beautiful example of a brand doing this very well. Again, um, this was a, a, a case that I was exposed to when um, when at Cannes, was for a, a French um, durable goods mm-hmm. company called Dagoma. They actually make 3D printers. Mm. Um, 
what they were seeing from the societal narrative was a lot of conversation about um, gun violence and all, obviously all the, the terrible shootings that mm -hmm. have been taking place over um, the past many months. And um, they um, also discovered that there was um, a, a group of people, unfortunately, using their 3D printers to print 3D guns wow. that actually functioning. Um, and so they saw this as a, a, a way that, you know, if, again, going back to authenticity who they were and what they stood for. And they're like, this is something that we are absolutely against. And so they developed um, and open sourced a software that scrubbed um, the, the interwebs I love it. <laughs> and found um, the, the CAD files that um, were for these 3D guns. Um, took all of them and secretly tweaked wow. them, put them back out with um, the same file names. And so um, these people who were um, trying to print 3D guns, when they would print all the pieces and try to put them together, they didn't I love work. it. Way um, to make news. And, and so, yeah, and, and it did. It made, it made so much news. Um, but I think, you know, again, a, an advertising agency would, you know, maybe not approach it right. from that standpoint. Um, but thinking about it from a PR perspective, it's like we are trying to um, really protect our brand and who we are. And this is an opportunity. We're not selling product, but we're selling who we are as a company and what we believe in. And I just thought it was um, just profoundly successful. And, um, uh, you know, again, they open sourced it yeah. as well, which was just a really showcasing um, leadership in the space and a reputation. I love it. Andy, it's been a wonderful conversation. Thanks for coming on. You know, full disclosure, I think everybody knows this. FH is my alma mater. I cut yeah, my PR teeth in that very same office, Candy. When, um, I know. Yeah. And I'm so glad that you did because um, it was a reason why I got to meet yes, you. Yes, absolutely. Which at the table, at AT&T, at some brainstorm or something. And I remember going, is that Carrie Bradshaw? <laughs> and I know you get that all the time. <laughs> I do. I love her. Yeah, so, Sarah, yes. Jessica Parker, but you're much cuter. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much for coming on the Culture Soup Podcast. Thank you, Michelle. Awesome. I'll see you next All time. Right, talk bye soon. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. What an exciting conversation with Candace Peterson, otherwise known as Candy, not Carrie Bradshaw. <laughs> thank you, Candy, for coming on. Find us online at theculturesoup.com, on Instagram and Twitter at The Culture Soup, and on Facebook at The Culture Soup Podcast. Until next week. The Culture Soup Podcast is a production of No Size Communication, LLC. The Culture Soup Podcast is a registered trademark of No Silos Communications, LLC.